Well, no pressure. You know, raising the perfect parent is kind of like a pretty solid title for a series, like perfect parent. Newsflash, it doesn't exist. So just take that pressure off. Don't expect that out of me. Yes, I maybe have been a mom maybe about 12 years longer (laughs) than Pastor John, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I have this all figured out. I am definitely on this parenting journey with all of you. And so thanks for having us. You guys did get to meet John. My husband, John, and Dean are here. My son, Dean, are here in the front row. Diana's in the back with the kiddos. I have a picture of them in case you didn't know how cute they are. Dean started sixth grade last week, so middle school, that happened. And I can't believe it, but it went really well. And so last Sunday, I was very nervous. I could hardly sleep. I was so nervous to send my baby boy to middle school. And he comes back, he's like, sixth grade's awesome. Like, we move around all the time. I have different people in every class, a different teacher every hour. I'm like, okay, glad you like it. I'll get back to you in a couple months and see how that's going. Dayana is in fourth grade, and she's loving life. And then this is the other person I get to parent. And today, we're talking about the volcano parent, which newsflash has to do with anger problems. This dog, though he's darling, causes a lot of anger in our home. He's a really bad dog. He is Fozzie Freed. He's seven years old. He has one goal in life, and that's to run away (laughs) as often as possible. So he has an electric fence, but will break it for people. He will break it for any other animal. It's worth the shock on his little skinny neck to meet somebody new. We literally find him in other people's cars. He used to get on the school bus in our old neighborhood, like not even our kids' bus. He'd run behind this other street and jump on a bus. Everybody knows Fozzie Freed. We find him very frustrating, especially John. John finds him to be the vein of his existence. He... Uh, does all kinds of terrible things like pooping in my daughter's closet. He takes the butter, like I leave the butter out on the counter, you know, because it's so much better soft. He snatches that and hides it in our laundry baskets. (laughs) Butter. Like, you know, that stains and it's disgusting. So he's a really bad dog. He tests our patience, but lucky for him, he's cute. And we've made a lot of friends because he runs away so often. So whatever, God gave us that dog for a reason. But we're not talking about parenting dogs, though they do bring out sometimes the worst in us. We're talking about parenting our kids, and this is so important to all of us here, whether your kids are out of the house, whether your baby's three months old, or you're smack in the middle of parenting like we are. This is an important thing for us to discuss because kids are our future. They are going through a life that is significantly different than the majority of us have lived through. And I know, like, my grandparents surely said about my parents, like, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Pray for my children, you know? And then I'm sure my mother thought the same thing about me when I was a teenager, and now here I am following suit. So every generation has had this feeling of, like, oh, what is happening to our world? I'm so worried about my kids. So if you're with me in that right now, we are totally in that as well. But remember, everyone has probably felt similarly. And God has perfectly suited us to be the parents that we are right now. So today I want to review where we've been in this series and close out with a bang about anger. Um, when Pastor John asked me to be part of the series, I got my topic. I'm like, oh, parenting. Yes, I'm great at that. Like, I would love to share a sermon on parenting. He's like, yeah, you get the anger one. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. So I literally have eight weeks to practice what I preach, and my kids will thank you. (laughs) So the last eight weeks, I've been keenly aware of my emotions and of my anger, or hopefully the lack thereof. But we started out with talking about, in order to be a perfect parent, we are image bearers of Jesus first before we are our kids' parents, and that was a fantastic way to start the series. 
The second sermon, Pastor Mariah came and talked about being a lawnmower or a helicopter parent. Could anybody here admit with me you're a helicopter parent? Anybody? Okay. Well, I'm a helicopter parent. I worry about my kids. John and I are both firstborn kids. Any firstborns? You're the oldest in your family. Okay. We're unique people, right? Like we're special. We're the smartest. Don't tell anybody. Um, We're typically the most stubborn. Our family has two of those married, and so that's unique. But it just causes a lot of like control and trying to have my fingers in too many things. I am a helicopter parent, but I've learned that's really not always helpful. The third sermon was the dry cleaner parent talking about spiritual formation. So John and I were youth pastors and kids pastors before we became real pastors, so to speak. That was much harder, by the way, dealing with kids and students, but so important. And so knowing the importance of the family in a kid's spiritual life, I loved that sermon. Last Sunday, we got to hear from Pastor John about his parenting journey, but also his parents. And I know his parents. And actually, when we were pretty new parents, we got to hang out with Mark and Sherry quite a bit. And it turns out, um, I can tell you why Pastor John's so great. He had really good parents, and they were strict. Sherry is no nonsense, okay? Like John's mom, you don't mess, okay? That little southern drawl he has, he gets that from his mama, and you don't mess, okay? She is no nonsense, and discipline is key. If you missed that sermon last week, you must go back and listen to it. It was great for me, because I have to admit, sometimes it's easier to let things slide, right? But then we have regrets, because we're like, man, like that's not really working out so well. This, you know, let say yes to this, yes to that, then we kind of lose control pretty quickly. So that was a great sermon. Today we're talking about the volcano parent. I have a couple slides from this teenage parenting website to explain some of the things that might frustrate parents a little bit. When the trash is full, put more trash on it. That's a little frustrating. After drinking water from a cup, drink more water from a different cup. We wash so many cups at our house. All of your shoes should be white. Also, they should block the doorway. All of them. Empty food boxes go back in the pantry. (laughs) Or like, you know, like two bites of cereal. Let's just put it back. The proper way to hang a towel is to not. Particularly if you have carpet, I would like really love to find drenched towels on the carpet. You're laughing because it happens. And leave half a swallow of milk in the container. Then put it back in the fridge and say, it's not empty. This happens a lot, right? These are the things that, like, over time, you're like, you're driving me crazy. (laughs) Like, could you please pay attention to what's happening here? Well, in this volcano, oh, there's one more. Leave two squares of toilet paper so you don't have to change the roll. Yeah, that also happens. This isn't just kids. It's husbands. All right. (laughs) And to be honest, these, t- these things we're going to talk about today, it does apply so much more than just to your kids. It may apply to your marriage. It may apply to your coworkers. It may apply to your neighbor. Like maybe there's just somebody in your life that really kind of drives you nuts. We're going to give you some principles today that will help you deal with these people who maybe get this like boiling feeling down in your gut that you need to figure out how to control. So the volcano parent isn't just like this person with a rage or an anger problem. There's often a reason deep down inside why. Like, why are they overreacting? I picture like at a basketball game, this parent that like gets the technical foul called on them because the parent's flipping out. Like, don't be that person, by the way. Like, that really upsets the team. 
and the coach, but they have a reason maybe why this anger is boiling inside. Not like, oh, I just have an anger problem. Often it stems back to something maybe in their childhood. Maybe there's a reason they're completely blowing this out of proportion or getting like a totally different viewpoint on something. People are like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. But to that person, maybe something that happened in their childhood, maybe it's a way that they were parented, maybe there's an unmet thing that they didn't get to accomplish in life and they're really trying to control their kid to make sure they don't make those same mistakes or that they aren't a bad representation of who they are as a parent. And so they become a volcano, this worry, this tension, this concern, and then suddenly it just kind of blows up or it explodes and that lava is just down in there boiling. As I was preparing eight weeks ago to think about this sermon, we were on two very long road trips with our kids, okay? Our kids are two and a half years, well, nearly three years apart, okay? So they're close enough in age. There's quite a bit of competitiveness. Like I said, they have two firstborn parents. When John and I were dating, people literally said, if you two get married, what will your kids be like? Multiple people said that. I'm like, okay, great. So I give you Dean and Diana. So Dean and Diana are stuck in the backseat of a car that we are going to spend, I don't even know, 40 hours in the car, probably over the course of a couple of weeks. And there's this little like armrest thing between them. And on this armrest, my daughter has decided that's Ralph's seat. Okay, this is Ralph. This is her little um, monkey that she has become very attached to, especially this summer. Ralph had a suitcase that had to go everywhere we went on these road trips, and this apparently is his car seat, okay? <laughs> so Ralph's car seat had to be on this little, like, console where my son would kind of maybe like to put his arm or his drink, okay? And he's literally sitting in his car seat, buckled in, by the way. He had a seatbelt. His actual seatbelt was on Ralph, and Dean's like, dude, Diana, like, just move Ralph. And she's like, that's his car seat, and he's like, it's the armrest. And she's like, that is Ralph's car seat. Leave it alone. And I'm in the front thinking, oh gosh, here we go. Like, this is going to get bad really fast because Ralph needs his seat. And I'm thinking, Dean, just like lean the other way. Like, I'm trying to figure out what to do. She's getting more angry. He's getting more angry. Poor Ralph is just stuck in the middle of it all. And I thought, you know, I know a couple of things about parenting and I know what works with my kids. What usually works with my kids is a little of humor to deflect. So I turn around to see Ralph and his big eyes staring back at me. And I think, what can I say that's like funny to like stop this argument and like get them to calm down and do something else? And so I look at Ralph and I think this looks more like a toilet. And so I thought, oh, I'll make a funny joke and they'll laugh. And like poop jokes are like super funny in our house. So I'm like, Dayana, I said, Ralph looks like he's sitting on the toilet. I said, why are Ralph's, Ralph's eyes so big? Is that because his poop is so big? And like waiting for a laugh. And she's like, <laughs> Why are your mommy's eyes so small? Is that because her brain is so small? <laughs> I was like, are my eyes small? <laughs> Needless to say, that could have been a moment when mommy came to the back seat to teach little Miss So and So a little lesson, right? Like, no, 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 no. Okay, mommy's trying to have fun. I don't have a small brain, okay? Like, so I just turned around and I was actually kind of like, wow, that was a pretty good one, <laughs> really. I mean, but these are the moments that happen in our house way too often in a moment where I could easily be like, you know what, little girl? I'm going to show you a small brain. I'm going to tell you what's up. 
because I was raised by two people who are night and day, okay? Like totally different people. And most of the time, you're going to get my mother, but if you push me, you're going to get my father, okay? And that's the one that comes to the backseat and tells you what's up. So they're lucky that's not always the case. I do want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones, I would love for you to pull this out because I feel like this passage of scripture, Paul's talking to this church in Ephesus about like, here's the way that we live as Christians. And there's not a lot of really detailed, specific instructions as parents in the Bible, but this is how as Christians we should be living. And I feel like it applies very directly to parenting. So Ephesians chapter five, verse one says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Obviously, we should be loving our children, right? These are little gifts that God has given us. We need to show them love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Next slide. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We're skipping to verse 8. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, which is like exposing this anger, exposing these emotions that maybe are going to erupt. It is shameful even to mention what, is, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about three specific parts of that scripture today as parents, and the first one is to follow God's example by walking in the way of love. I feel like as parents, when we do have reactions, that's actually a reflection of us, not of our kids. Like maybe you have said or you've heard it said before, like, well, you made me do that because you did this. I had to do that. The reality is our reactions are not because of our children or because of that person who's frustrating us or because of that person who causes anger in our heart. It's because of us. So we need to learn to follow God's example and walk in love. So back to chapter one or chapter five, verse one, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible, probably half of you have it in your house on the wall, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is what? Patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Like one of the very first things a lot of us hear when we think about love is patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. When Dino, our boy, was a little guy, like most of us when we were little people or those of us who have little people, we kind of have this issue where we don't know how to, to figure out, like, what, how big is this problem? Like, all problems in life when you're five or six-year-old are, like, huge problems. And so he was working with this awesome person that was helping him learn how to discern, like, is this a level 10 problem or is this actually just a level one problem? And so he had this ball, and he had to throw it at the number of, like, what kind of problem this was. And she would give him a problem, and he would say, that's a 10. So, like, you fell off your bike and your knee's bleeding. My knee's bleeding, that's a 10. So he'd throw the ball at the 10, and she's like, 
okay, but no, remember, Dean, like 10 is like your mom just died. Okay, like this is the biggest, most saddest, most awful thing that could ever happen in your life. That's a 10. So she'd be like, so then say you broke your arm. He'd be like, broke my arm. That's a 10. That hurts so bad. I think I'm going to have to like get a cast. You know, it sounds terrible. She's like, no, 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 no. Like that's not actually a 10. Like that's probably, that could be like a 7. Okay, like it does hurt really bad. Something you'll remember for the rest of your life. Maybe that's a 7. And so he was discerning like how, like how big is this problem? To be honest, I think all of us have this problem, right? Like I might go to the 10 reaction when my kids just forgot to tie their shoes, you know? Like, no, 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 Danielle, like, that's a one. <laughs> like, they just forgot to tie their shoe. Like, stop flipping out. This is clearly your own issue. Maybe it's because you're running late and you need to get out the door. That's not their problem. Figure out where on this scale this problem lands. When John and I were going to be planting a church about 10 years ago, they put us through a ton of assessments to see, like, are you suited to do this? One of the ways they do that is by figuring out how you handle conflict. And they want to see, like, when you're under pressure, how are you going to react? And so we took the assessment. They're like, John, you're good with conflict. You're not afraid of it. You're great. Awesome. Danielle, you're weird. I'm like, ooh. She's like, they're like, your reactions are a little different. And I'm, like, getting nervous. Like, what's wrong with me? They said, your first reaction is, number one, to completely avoid conflict at all costs. And then we also asked you in this scenario, like, so what would be your second reaction? Typically, people go within like two to three points of their initial reaction. You went from 100% avoidance to 100% facing it head on. They're like, that's just not real typical. And I'm like super nervous. What does that mean? And John's like, I can tell you what that means. Typically, you're going to get Rosie, which is my mom. We're not going to have a problem here. But if we're going to push it, you're going to get David. Okay? Like my parents are the classic, like opposites attract kind of people. So this is how I was raised, knowing like let's have peace, but if you want to push it, we can get real serious real fast. If anyone here could admit, yeah, maybe that's me, or maybe I am kind of living at the top end of that conflict scale. It's not important just that we recognize that, it's important that we know what to do with that. How do we rein that in? And then how do we repair when maybe we've hurt people because we quickly went to our 10? when it really maybe only was a two. So the second thing, as parents living in the light, we need to know that we have been in darkness, but now we are in the light, and we want to live in the light. As Christians, this is instructions for Christians in Ephesians chapter 5, day by day we want to walk in the light. We are no longer in this darkness. We can now live in a fresh new way. We can breathe a fresh breath of fresh air and say, I don't have to be in that place anymore. I don't have to sit in that dark place. I can live as a person and a parent of light. So maybe it's the stuff from our past, but remember, our reactions are a reflection of us, not of our kids. So when you think about that, it's a little bit embarrassing, like, whoa, like, that, my kid didn't really cause that. I clearly have an issue, and I need to get control of that. For us, mornings are the worst. They've gotten a little better. Now we have two different start times. But when we all had to get to school at the same time together, there was just a lot of chaos. And it was very hard for all of us to control our emotions because we have to remember all the things. We have to get in the car on time. And if we're not, guess what happens? I have to go into the school. Hate that. And when I get to the school, they're like, why were you late? I'm like, wouldn't you like to know? You literally have to tell them, like, why are you late today? And I want to lie, which is not very godly. And so I'm like, you know, um, we missed the bus, and things were really tough. Just be glad we're here. Now, why am I worried about this? I don't want to make my kids look bad, because really, it's probably most likely my issue that I didn't have their stuff together, or I didn't get them up early enough to get done what needs to get done. Then I got to go to the school and straight up admit, 
Why are we late, okay? Like, talk about a shame response. Talk about looking at myself and realizing, but my reaction is not a reaction, a reflection of my kids, a reflection of me. There's a saying, it says that it took one day to move out of your parents' house, but it's taking much longer for your parents' house to move out of you. How many of you are empty nesters here? Are there any empty nesters? Your kids are long gone, okay? I don't know if you even remember when you had first moved out of your parents' house and you begin your parenting journey and you're like, you say something and you're like, oh my gosh, like that was my mom. Or I sound just like my dad. Like how is this happening? Those of us who are parents now, you're like, what am I doing? Like I said I wasn't going to do that like my parents and then suddenly I'm saying the same things and I'm, you know, like speaking and I don't even know what's happening. I'm like, whoa, I'm David. Like how am I David right now? That's weird. When we think about how our parenting, how we were parented affects the way we're parenting now. Maybe you had a parent who had a bit of an anger problem. Maybe you had a parent who would fly off the handle at you and you're like, I swore I'd never do that, but for some reason I'm doing that. There's a famous quote by a Catholic priest named Father Richard Rohr, and he said, you will either transform your pain or you will transmit your pain. That's so true, especially as parents. Yeah, maybe we reflect things on other people, but there's no one, maybe besides our spouse, that we're going to reflect on than our kids, realizing that if we have undealt with pain in our heart, if we have undealt with habits or things that were very commonplace in our households, and we've begun to allow them into our household, even though we swore we never would, we really didn't want that to happen, then we're transmitting pain. I believe that, and I know that the Lord really doesn't want that for us. He wants our hearts to be transformed and renewed so we can have fresh space in our families. We were once in darkness, Ephesians 5, 8, but now we are light in the Lord, so live as children or parents of light. It takes patience, it takes work, it takes forgiveness, and a lot of prayer. I know I thought I like, had a healthy prayer life until I had kids, and I pray so much. Like I feel like the Lord's like, yes, Danielle, I know, here we are again, they're going to be fine, don't worry. But also, it's not just begging the Lord to help my kids, but I need to pray more about make me a better parent. Help me to realize where I'm weak and make me strong. Transform these parts I don't like and make them fresh and new. So for our kids, we have this really simple three-step prayer. And I wanted to share it with you guys because it works for adults too. And if anything, this is what I need to do more than having my kids pray. I need to pray this prayer more to be a better parent. The first thing is I have my kids just tell me, what are you thankful for? Like, what can you thank God for? We do this almost every night that I'm with whichever kid I'm putting to bed that night. What are you thankful for? What do you maybe need to tell God you're sorry for? Just look at your day. Where did you mess up? There may be multiple things, but think of at least one thing. Is there one thing you need to tell God you're sorry for? And then third, what do you need God for? What do you need help with? When you reflect back on just that day, or maybe it's been a couple of days, you reflect on these three things then you're looking at the future going, and this is where I'm going to change. This is where I had to say I'm sorry. This is where I messed up. And this is where I need help. And this is what I'm going to do differently in the future. What am I thankful for? What am I sorry for? And what do I need God for? I love that simple prayer for kids and adults alike. And then the third point is just to make the most of every opportunity. Those empty nesters, you're going, yes, what they say is true. The days are long, but the years are short. They came and they're gone. Like, it happened so fast. This morning I was in the lobby talking to a little two-year-old, and I thought, oh, like my daughter is nine and a half and a giant. Like, she's like up to my shoulder. Like, where's my two-year-old? Where's my three-month-old? Oh, I hate looking at pictures of my babies. I'm like, 
where'd they go? Like, they're so big now. They have their own, their own opinions and obviously their snotty little attitudes. <laughs> like, where's that cute baby that was just sweet and like happy to see me all the time? We have to make the most though of every opportunity. And even just as believers, when we have an opportunity to interact with someone, we have to make the most of that opportunity. Ephesians 5.15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. These volcanic responses can be just triggers from our past, and it's where we know like the anger may be creeping in. Sometimes we don't know how to respond differently because we have to get this thing done. So probably we fly off the handle a little bit at our preschoolers. We get a little frustrated with our elementary schoolers. Maybe high school is like a whole nother ball game. Like, okay, you're a man now. Like, let's get crap done. Listen to me. Do what I said. I'm your mother. Like, we're getting into this new arena of like eye to eye, like mini adult to real adult. And we're getting more and more tense and we don't know exactly what to do. A lot of those I don't know what to do moments are out of fear. We have a fear that we're losing control. We have a fear that maybe we're losing our kid. We have a fear that, you know, this isn't going to suit them on the future. And so we don't know how else to get the control. So we just get angry. We just flip out. Maybe you're thinking like, wow, Danielle, you got issues. You know what? <laughs> maybe I do. And I'm not proud of that. Like, I know that I am a strong-willed person. I was a strong-willed kid. I'm going to tell you a story about that in a minute. But I have to learn how to do things differently. So because John and I, you know, the whole what will your kids be like thing happened, uh, having kids and parenting has been tense. It has been difficult. It has absolutely not always been easy. So I've taken multiple parenting classes from Christian classes to like literally drove downtown Indianapolis. We moved here from Indiana, like taking parenting classes just to see like how can I do this better? Like, how can I make my home and my family and my kids as healthy as possible when we have some struggles within each other? So here's some tips from an expert on parenting, Wendy Snyder. When we get to this volcanic moment and we're kind of feeling like we're losing control, something you might say is like, stop it now, or, and we like, come up with a fake punishment because typically it'll be like, you're going to be grounded for the next four months. Well, not really because really I'm just telling you to like stop touching your sister. Probably not going to ground you for four months because of that. But you just feel like everything's out of control and you're screaming like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Instead, just look back to yourself and say, I don't know what to do and that's okay. Like take a breather, walk away, don't hit it head on and keep becoming more aggressive and more forceful when in reality, you don't even know what you're going to do. So like come up with a plan and then come back with a clear, hey, I don't know what to do and that's okay. Maybe we need to separate. Give me two minutes. Maybe you need two minutes. It's okay that I don't know what to do. Don't fly off with some fake punishment that to be honest, we're just saying to get control. And I don't know about you, but I know the way I grew up and something we found ourselves guilty of is saying the thing. And it's like, that's really not appropriate for what's happening right now, but we're just grasping for control. Or maybe you just say, why can't you just listen? I'm so tired of this. Instead of like screaming like, you're terrible at the kid or at the person, maybe it's your spouse, just say, they're a strong person, they're a strong kid, I am strong, our family is strong, so I will calm down and figure out how to respond. I've watched a lot of friends and even some family members parent very, very, very strong-willed kids. And I know 
there's beauty in that. Like if you could just look at that child and see their strengths rather than seeing that as a weakness and realize this is something I have to guide rather than something I have to get control of. It takes the pressure off. Recognize their strength and try to learn how to form that in that little person who's becoming an adult. Or here's a third one. Maybe you feel this, I have to do everything around here. This is ridiculous. Do this now or else. Maybe just try saying to this person, spouse, friend, maybe it's a coworker or your kid, I need your help. For my kids, if I just make them feel guilty, they just want to go to their room and cry like, okay, I'm terrible. But if instead I can say, hey, I'm stressed out. We have a lot going on. Here's why I need you to help me. Could you do this thing? Well, yeah. But if I'm just screaming at you, telling you how terrible my life is and that you're ridiculous and I'm going to punish you if you don't, that's so different than saying, like, could you help me? Everyone wants to feel wanted, right? Like, no, we might feel tired and not want to do this hard task, but if we could just break it down and ask for help, typically people and kids are willing to say, I can help, I want to help. When I was a kid, I was a very, very, very strong-willed kid. And we had a lot of strength in our family, a lot of passionate people. I have two younger brothers and a very strong dad who was raised by a very strong dad who was in the Navy. And so in our home, things were tense. Things got really, really aggressive, really fast. Nothing abusive, but just like loud and drama. We're from the country. We, we, nobody could hear us screaming if we were screaming. And so whatever was happening in the house was sometimes chaotic. And I would get super frustrated, and I would want to tell my parents what I think, but I maybe would choose not to. And so I was trying to find an outlet as a kid, like, how do I handle this anger that's inside of me when I'm feeling other people in my home getting more and more angry and more and more tense? And so I would just, you know, like pre-tie bow, kickboxing stuff, like go in my room and kick the wall. Like, I am so mad, and I would just kick the wall, and oh, it felt so good. And it was like my little private release in my room, my little kickboxing session to get my anger out. And I did this for years, and, you know, never had any problems. It would kind of relieve that tension a little bit, and I'd feel a little bit better about myself. Well, when I was 19, I went to college. My parents moved into a new house. I was away at college. I came home for the weekend. My very much larger brother, though he was younger, kind of got frustrated at me because I picked up the other end of the phone. This is like an old thing you young people understand, but like there'd be two phones. You could all hear the same phone call in your house. There was like the line. It was weird. Anyway, I like picked up my brother's call and like said something funny to him and his girlfriend. He's like, get off the phone. I was like, ha ha, hung up. Well, the phone call ended and he came to find me. I was really, like I was 19. I didn't really care that much about him and his girlfriend's conversation. I was just trying to like be fun because I'm kind of fun. And at the end of the phone call, he came to find me and he was a giant, probably 16 at the time. And he slugs me like so hard. And I broke my left shoulder in high school. So that's the shoulder he always tries to hit, right? Because that's where she's already weak. Let's get her where she's weak. Who cares if she's a girl? She's my big sister and she's a punk and I'm going to punch her. We had not had like a physical fight in probably three years. And I'm not gonna try to fight him back because at that point he could like single-handedly kill me. So I go to my dad, I'm like, dude, Josh just punched me in this bad shoulder. I'm like crying because it hurt so bad. Also because like, I was just trying to have fun. I didn't think it was like this big of a deal. And my dad's like, well, should have left him alone. I'm like, 
Really? Like, that's what you're going to say? Like, he just punched me in the shoulder. I'm this, like, college-age student. Like, I'm this Christian person now. Like, I go on missions trips. Like, I'm a good kid, and you're just going to let my brother punch me? So I go to my room. And like I had done three, four, five years prior at the old house, decide to kick the wall as hard as I can to get my anger out. This house was apparently built differently because I kicked a hole in the wall. I felt my entire foot go through a wall in my parents' new house as a 19-year-old, okay? So then I feel stupid. Like, I don't feel cool. I don't feel tough. I feel stupid. And I look at that hole, and I'm like, I'm dead. I am dead. Mr. 10 on the conflict scale, yeah, he is not going to be happy. So I pack up everything I have. I was home from college for the weekend. I get everything I need packed back up. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to be welcome here for at least a year. Like, I'm dead. I'm done. This is over. Goodbye, family. See you in a few years. So I pack everything up, and I'm just, like, looking at that hole like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. Get everything packed up. Take it out to my car. I go up to my mom. I said, Mom, I kicked a hole in the wall. (laughs) I feel so stupid. Dad didn't do anything when Josh punched me in the shoulder. It hurt so bad. It was so out of control. I didn't know what to do. I kicked the wall like I used to kick it at the old house. It didn't work out so well. Don't worry. I packed everything up. I'm leaving. I won't be back for a long time. I'm so sorry. Well, what do you mean? And I said, don't worry. So I go to my car. And she goes and tells my dad, like, apparently Danielle kicked a hole in the wall. She feels really bad. She's leaving. So she's not going to come back for a really long time. And my dad does some things, and I hang around in the driveway waiting to figure out my plan of what I'm going to do. And my dad comes out, and he's like, you don't need to leave. And I'm like, I don't need to leave. Why? <laughs> like, I should leave. I should have to leave. This is really dumb. This is really immature. And I'm really sorry. He has me come back in the house. My room was very messy, and he had cleaned the entire room, moved my desk to cover the hole in the wall. He's like, you don't need to leave. That is not what I expected. Probably not what I deserved. But that's what a good parent does when they know, hey, blowing up is not going to help anything. Clearly, she's already pretty ticked. So instead of meeting her in that anger, I'm going to go down a few notches. Though this might have been a 10 problem and probably deserved a 10 reaction, he goes way down here. And he's like, you know what? He's probably thinking, I probably should have punished your brother. (laughs) He probably shouldn't have been able to hit his sister. I probably didn't do this right, so I'm going to do my best to give grace and make this right. I tell you that story not to say, like, I really had a problem, to say my dad had a lot of other options in that moment. And to be honest, that's probably the last time he really parented me. I was thinking that this morning. Ironically, I already planned to tell you that story, and yesterday (laughs) we thought we were going to lose my dad. He has COVID in Indiana and my mom, and he had what my mom thought was a seizure. She called 911. I get that really scary call from your parent when they're like, your dad just had a seizure. I called 911. What do I do? I'm not a nurse, by the way. So I'm like, I don't know. What do you mean? She's like, his eyes were glazed over. His arms and legs were moving. The ambulance is taking forever. And I'm like trying to remember CPR classes I've taken. And I'm like, lay him down, turn him aside, make sure he doesn't choke, all these things. And in moments, I'm thinking, like, am I even going to be able to preach at the center in the morning? Am I going to be packing to go to a funeral this week? Like, what's happening in my life? Good news, he came home. My mom's watching him. He's going to be okay, it looks like. But what are the chances that I'm planning to tell you this story and realizing 
how quickly things can change, how quickly we can lose people, not just grandparents, but anybody in our life. And so I just want to encourage you that the time you have is given to you from the Lord to make the most of it with your kids, with your relationships, with those people around you. If maybe you're that person and you're going, hey, if my kid kicked a hole in the wall, that is not how I'm going to react. How am I going to react? Maybe I don't know how to do the right thing. Maybe I don't have the ability in my heart to have patience and give grace. I have three simple things to recommend. One is to pray. Do you have someone that you need to forgive, something unmet or undealt with in your heart that you need to walk through? Someone you need to forgive? Do you need to ask someone else for forgiveness? Maybe it's a friend that you've offended. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Is there someone you need to ask to forgive you? Or maybe there are deep, heavy things in your past that you've never dealt with. Maybe you've had way worse reactions yourself or someone has taken out reactions on you and you don't know what to do with that. You don't know how to handle that. We are huge advocates for counseling, good Christian counselors to walk you through darkness and trauma, to give you tips and hints and tricks on, hey, here's how you deal with your stuff and move into a new, fresh space of being stronger and being healthier and being the best you and Jesus that you can be dealing with that stuff. So Pastor John's going to share in a minute about ways that you can do that. If you're thinking, yeah, maybe I should consider that. He's going to share a little bit about that with you. So I just love to pray for you and encourage you to know that God has given you the tools and the ability to be the best parent and the best representation of his light that you can be. And he wants that for you. So let's pray. Lord, we are very aware of darkness and we are aware of the unique spaces that our world is in right now, globally and locally and in our own personal lives. There are battles that each of us are fighting that maybe we don't know we're in or we're just beginning to see or that we're just getting out of. And so, Lord, I just pray that for every person in this room, when they have these moments of the lava within their soul, feeling like it's bubbling and boiling, Lord, that they would learn how to just push it down in a healthy way, Lord, that they would recognize the glory that you will get when we instead turn from that darkness and walk into light when we allow our hearts to become more pure, when we allow our hearts to focus on peace, when we as Christian people practice real, true patience. Lord, I just pray that you empower us in our relationships, that you empower us as parents, that all the things that we've learned and all the things that we've been studying in this series, Lord, would just come to a head and make us better, stronger people for our families and for our communities, Lord, that people would experience your light through us, that maybe even people would start to recognize some change. I know, Lord, when people are in these cycles and these anger spaces and they are so intense, people know that person. But Lord, it's possible for that person to have a change, for their life to be made new. And so God, I just pray that you would do that, that you would make each of us new, that you would make each of us more and more like you, and that people would begin to notice that and you would get all the glory for the ways that we are continually seeking you and seeking your face and walking into the light. So I just pray your blessings on this church family, for those in the room with us, for those watching online, Lord, that they would just draw closer to you. And as a result, more people would experience you through them. We pray this in your name.